chicks dig the long ball. Good morning and welcome to episode 213 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Uh, I got a Howdy. hello. Uh, before we start, I got a, a tweet t- today uh, from someone who who asked that we get a a logo for our podcast. Uh, I don't get it <laughs> because. Uh, Wait, where does our wait? Where, our podcast is a non-physical thing. Where would the logo go? Uh, apparently, on iTunes or or the person who tweeted at me mentioned an iPhone podcast app, uh, and I guess the I, I think if you go to our podcast on iTunes, I think it just shows the the Baseball Prospectus logo. But now there is a, a new BP podcast from Paul Spohr and Doug Thorburn, and it also has the BP logo as its logo. So apparently this is it is confusing and difficult to to navigate and distinguish between the two podcasts. So so, so you're saying that Doug and Paul should get a logo. <laughs> well, uh, you and I are are not going to make a logo, but uh, if we have any any gifted listeners who feel like uh, showing off their their image manipulation skills or their logo design skills uh, and and winning. Our gratitude and 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 the fame that would come from designing the logo for Effectively Wild, uh, we are we are accepting submissions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Didn't didn't Pete have a logo when we were doing the? He, yes, there the was team. a logo for for the squeeze, that segment, uh, but it was so we, we... <laughs> it was not in Effectively Wild. I don't know what in Effectively Wild logo would. Be. It, it seems like it's kind of hard to convey that concept in in a still image. I, I'm currently looking up Entertainment Weekly's logo to see if it can be stolen. <laughs> I, I don't know, we could just do like a. We can, it is. It's just an EW. It says ew. <laughs> so we'll just use that. Ew. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we could we could use a, a foot stomping on a cricket or something. Or um, I don't know. Anyway, two on the nose. Yeah, we have, we have. I'm sure we have very talented, creative listeners. What's your topic today, Ben? Other than than the logo, uh, hmm. I guess we should. I feel like we should probably talk about the Royals. Okay, uh, and I want to talk about. Um, I guess I want to talk about the international draft and and its effect on, on scouting. I guess. Okay. So why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, so the last time we talked about the Royals, it was. A happier time for the Royals. Uh, they, I don't think, have won since the day that we talked about them, um, and they've had kind of an incredible power outage. Uh, they sort of got on base and sort of hit for some power in April, and really haven't uh, since then. And they have hit. Uh, did they, did they hit any? They did not hit any home runs uh, on on Wednesday night. So. They have still hit, I think, two home runs since May 14th, uh, both of those home runs by Miguel Tejada. And Naturally. yes, and there are, of course, all kinds of uh, funny punchline stats that people have come up with, uh, other teams' pitching staffs out-homering the Royals since then, or... Un- Unieski Betancourt right. out-homering or the Deanna Navarro out-homering the Royals in one game on Wednesday night. Uh, so anyway, um, kind of incredible, incredible period of not hitting for power. 
And uh, of course, the the Royals hitting coach spoke uh, about this, Jack Jack Maloof, and if don't they have two? Yes, I they, thought they, had they do two. have two. They this season have two. I don't know whether one is is the primary and one is the assistant, maybe. Um, but Jack Maloof uh, had a bunch of comments on FoxSportsKansasCity.com uh, in an interview by Jeffrey Flanagan yesterday, and. It was kind of like, um, I guess on, on Tuesday, Eric Wedge's comments about Sabermetrics and Dustin Ackley kind of took Twitter by storm, and there was a sort of a knee-jerk uh, reaction to that, and then there was the reaction to the reaction where people kind of considered whether maybe he actually had a point, and and the initial reaction had, had been an overreaction. Uh, so I wonder... I wonder, I mean, the, the initial reaction to Jack Maloof's comments has has been, I guess, just as swift. And, and uh, I mean, there have been just as many jokes made at the Royals' expense. And Why don't you tell us yes, what Jack Yes, I will, I will do were. that. Uh, so, so basically he said, uh, he said, there is just no reward here for us to try and hit home runs. Uh, we try to stay down on the ball, be more line drive oriented, and do more situational hitting at least through the first two or three rounds at home here. I don't know what two or three rounds means, batting practice rounds. Uh, and then I guess the, the punchline line was, that's why I'm not overly concerned, because I think we'll lead the league in fewest home runs again this year, <laughs> which is a leading the league in fewest home runs is an interesting way to put it. Uh, and he, <laughs> and he, is, he is not concerned because they're going to do that, which is also a strange way to put it. Right, we're right on. We're right on pace to lead the league. Yes, <laughs> we're, uh, he says we don't. We're leading the league. We have <laughs> right. Uh, we don't. Yeah, it's a positive spin, I guess, on it. Uh, we don't have a forty homer guy in the middle of the lineup. Uh, the Royals never have a, a forty home run guy in the middle of the lineup. Uh, and then you know he kind of kept saying I'm not making excuses. Uh, and then sort of made excuses and and sort of pointed to the the lack of service time that some of these players have. Uh, he said, uh, we're looking at players, whether it's Sal Perez or Lorenzo Cain or Eric Hosmer or Mike Moustakis, they don't have much service time. Not an excuse, but it's a fact. Um, and then, of course, I guess it was Flanagan asked him why it is that other teams seem to be able to hit home runs in Kaufman. And, and I mean, to be clear, Kaufman is a, a tough place to hit home runs. It's not, it's not, old Petco or Safeco or, or, or the Coliseum, but it's, it's a tough place to hit home runs. It's sort of neutral-ish overall as far as runs scored, I, I believe, but not an easy place to hit home runs. But the Royals have been out-homered at home, I think something like 3-1 to one this season. Uh, and his explanation of that was, uh, here's the thing, other teams come in here from Anaheim or wherever, and they have their swing already down. This park doesn't even enter into their minds when they hit here. They have their swings, the same swings, because it pays dividends for them at home. Uh, but what we try to do with our players is be better at situational hitting. So he's saying that that these other teams that do not have to cope with uh, a, a, a park that's hard to hit homers in just come in and they are still swinging for the fences. And so they hit balls over them, whereas the Royals always have to play there. So they have... I guess adjusted their swing to kind of go the other way and not try to hit homers, um, because they think that that's not a winning strategy in 81 games a year. So 
Right. So can I interrupt yes, you here? Absolutely. Can. So there's basically we're talking about three separate things going on here right now, and I think it's probably a mistake to, to conflate them. Uh, one is what the words he used, which are obviously gibberish. I mean, they don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they aren't particularly consistent with each other. Uh, they're not, uh, I, would, I would say they're not particularly eloquent. And my guess is that um, Jack Maloof, uh, is probably not like the best guy to interview that he probably uh, does hasn't I don't know doesn't do a lot of interviews probably and um, yeah well maybe after, he, maybe after he does reading but, it it's you almost wish he had just kind of said no comment uh, yeah except well, like you, I, I imagine, you want him to like you know defend himself or explain himself but I guess better than that yeah I mean it sounds uh, my guess is that if you asked Jack Maloof like about Sal Perez's, uh, you know, back elbow or something like he would be fairly articulate. That's something that he, you know, probably thinks about and talks about when you ask him to kind of do these big issue things. It doesn't surprise me that, um, you know, that maybe the, the thoughts weren't like super coherent. My, my guess is that he has never had this conversation with Ned Yost and said those same things. Mm-hmm. That this is, this is very clearly probably, I mean, I, I might be wrong completely, but, but this, this could clearly be like, uh, this was his attempt to say uh, to give the kind of answers he thinks you're supposed to give in public, and they just came out all weird and mangled and awful. I mean, they're they're horrible answers. They don't make any sense at all. Right? right? Yes. They're, they're they're awful answers. Yes. So we, I think it's fair to say that Jack Maloof's answers in this case were were poor. Second thing, though, is that it doesn't tell us anything about what Jack Maloof is telling hitters or what his, the Royals is. His name Jack Maloof? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Or what the Royals' offensive strategy is, or you know whether they're they're properly instructing their hitters. My guess is that they're doing a great job instructing their hitters, and that they're telling their hitters more or less what every other coach tells every other hitter, and that you know they probably are telling them you know hit line drives and you know use all fields and you know go up the middle and stay back on the ball and and all these things that are probably fairly mainstream thoughts. I mean, most. It's very rare that you're going to find a, a batting, uh, a hitting instructor who's going to say, "Oh yeah, I tell my guys swing for the fences every time." Uh, that's just not that's not how they talk to the media, and for the most part, that's not really I I, I don't think how they talk to the Sometimes players. Sometimes you do uh, hear that from players, but it's usually a complaint. It seems like uh, from from a guy who kind of naturally goes the other way, who's who's forced to try to oh, pull right. like yes, I'm, I, like Mark T. Yeah, the Mark T. Or example. like going back a bit more, like Sean Green in Toronto, I think, uh, and and Paul O'Neill in Cincinnati um, were examples of guys where the team just wanted them to try to hit home runs, and they kind of wanted to go the other way, and then they left the team and went somewhere else, and and flourished outside of that team. Yeah, um, but. Uh... Presuming that we don't have a, a, a great reason to, to think otherwise, probably the words that Jack Maloof used don't necessarily reflect uh, the, the, the instructions that, that he and the, the coaching staff are giving to the players. So that's part two. And part three is that the, the Royals' offense has been uh, really bad. Their players, uh, well, I think that's true. Is, is that, that seems basically true to me, but... Maybe it, yeah, I mean it's it's average. It's roughly average or something. Uh, I'll look it up. I mean, obviously they Overall. they don't they don't walk and they don't hit for power. So yeah. <laughs> those are both thing both things that you would you would prefer your your offense to do. Yeah, so they have an eighty eight OPS plus. Mm-hmm. 
so that's quite a bit below average. And I mean, clearly, even if they even if they they were you know you give them more credit than that. I mean, it's hard not to acknowledge that Eric Hosmer is a gigantic disappointment. Mike Mustakis is a big disappointment. By true, uh, true average, they are second worst in the AL after after the White Sox. Uh huh. Uh, you know, Jeff Francoeur is a, is is awful, and um, you know that it's a combination of players that they've they've put out there i mean chris getz is not going to be a good hitter and and jeff frank core is probably not going to be a good hitter and also players being you know tremendous flops yeah like so that's and, the more concerning thing because i mean i mean it's it's right. concerning that that a team maybe would give jeff frank an everyday job or chris gets an everyday job and that's not something what you you want to see but it's it's even more disturbing when when a top prospect comes up and and sort of turns into one of those guys and then you wonder whether the team is at all at fault for that. I mean, you you kind of yeah. you kind of played Royals hitting coach, uh, and and you spent a week watching Eric Hosmer, and uh, I think you made a, a pretty convincing case that he is mechanically not the same guy that he was when he came up, um, and so that has to be either either the Royals haven't haven't identified or fixed the flaws that you seem to to identify i mean in some of the the images and and gifs you showed i mean he's basically falling over every time he swings he looks just mm-hmm. incredibly unstable uh and so i don't know whether they are at all to blame for that or whether that's something that he has just done on his own but they've been unable to to fix it at least yeah i think i think it's fair to say that the that the royals have have given us a lot of good reasons to question uh, their personnel decisions. They've given us, I would say, some good reason to question their player development. And that those are both some, you know, basically those are both serious issues uh, that that keep them from, you know, from winning. Um, the the words that, that, that their hitting coach used in an interview seem like fairly low-hanging fruit and not the most relevant thing mm-hmm. if that makes sense it's like when it's like when they would say it's like when they would sign uni Betancourt uh, over and over again and and it's you know a lot of because it's it's fairly easy to identify a lot of times we would make fun of the words that they would use mm-hmm. in describing uni Betancourt, and they would talk about how, how great his defense you know, was his, and, how great his yes. defense was and so you you'd mock that you'd mock the words but the words don't really necessarily reflect any sort of truth i mean they have to say words and they're going to say they signed him so they must that's the thing they signed (laughs) him the thing that the thing that was mockable is that they signed him the thing that was not really mockable is that they said good things about the guy they signed obviously they're going to say good things but they must have believed those things right or no not necessarily i mean they signed him i mean they obviously they they well like i said i think that it's sort of conflating two issues i mean you they their actions say that they like him. Mm-hmm. Their words kind of dovetail with that, but don't really contribute anything to that. I mean, their words are meant. Uh, how do I put this? <laughs> their the, their actions are meant to win baseball games, right. and so they can be judged in good faith. Their words are meant to um, present a positive image of the team. And so you can't really take them in good faith. And so even though there's should be a, a, you know, some correlation between the two, um, they, I mean, there should be some correlation between the two, but, but one is I think fair game and the other one is, uh, sort of 
pointless. It's uh, it's buying into into the idea that their words mean anything, which they don't. I guess so. I, well, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's almost it's just extraneous to talk about the words because what counts is the actions. Um, and yet, I mean, it it's sort of a pattern with them saying certain words about certain players. I guess. I mean. It, there's no reason to think that their words don't reflect what they actually believe when they are signing those players, right? It's not like they were saddled with those players for some reason and sort of made the best of it. I mean, they went out right. and got it's, those players. Yeah, it's not the Yankees getting Vernon Wells right. and then like talking about how much upside he has mm-hmm. when really it was just like a super buy low fill a, fill a spot kind of yeah. thing. So, uh, so that's true. Um, and that's what I, I mean, that's why I say there, there's a correlation there. It's just that, that one of the, one of the things that they did has a hundred percent, uh, uh, kind of, uh, significance in evaluating them. And the other one has like, I don't know, some percentage, but it's a lot lower than a hundred percent. But would you feel more confident? I mean, what if Maloof had said, we're not hitting for enough power. I wish we were hitting for more power. We'll, we'll try to hit for more power. Wouldn't that, <laughs> yeah. be, I mean, wouldn't that be more encouraging than, uh, than yeah, it would be I mean it would be but I don't know that it should be I mean we fall in love with coaching staffs that say the right things I mean this came up uh, this came up with Maniacta right mm-hmm. where we we talk, I think we talked about it on this show uh, where Maniacta says all the right things but you know none of us really has any idea whether Maniacta is ever going to win and um, uh you know, I mean, there's a reason that teams keep moving on from him, and so it makes you wonder. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly it would have been nice to have a, a hitting instructor come out and sound completely grounded in reality and say, I mean, it's pretty easy to say the right things in this situation. The right things are, uh, you know, yeah, we're working with all these guys. We want to help them identify good pitches to hit and do some damage. We'd love to hit more home runs. There's no doubt that homers are a good outcome, but we're not going to be single-minded in our approach. And I like a lot of the at-bats that they're having. And, you know, they're putting they're putting good wood on the ball even when it doesn't go over the wall. Um, the question that, I mean, the thing that's going through Jack Maloof's mind when he's having this, this conversation with a reporter, though, is, like, how is what I'm going to say going to get misinterpreted by my players into... Um, you know, into something that makes them think I don't have confidence in mm-hmm. them, or that I'm criticizing them, or that I'm passing on, passing the blame on them, uh, or that I, you know, don't have any hope. And so, like, it's this weird triple filter that's probably going through his his mind, and that makes it hard for him to, you know, necessarily be eloquent in the mm-hmm. moment. It does make them. It it makes them look a little inconsistent as an organization philosophically. I think. Uh, just because, I mean, last year they didn't hit a lot of home runs and their hitting coach, Kevin Seitzer, who was kind of like a, a patience and go the other way type, uh, was replaced. And, and I think basically, uh, from reading Joe Poznanski's story about it the other day, it was, it was Ned Yost's decision. He wanted to, to hit for more power and wanted someone who encouraged hitters to hit for power. And so they replaced Seitzer and, uh, and and Yost said that it was kind of to get more power out of the hitters and said that he thought that guys like Hosmer and Moustakis and Perez and Kane could hit 20 or more homers. And then here we are just a few months later and there someone, I mean, the guy who replaced Seitzer and supposedly would help them hit for more power is going way out of his way to try to say that power doesn't matter or is counterproductive in Kaufman 
or I, I don't know it 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 makes them seem like they're not on the same page or uh, I don't know you kind of want the same message I guess from everyone on the coaching staff at least publicly yeah you do but it's a di- today's different than than three months ago today yes. you have you have to think about what mindset the hitters are in right now and how they're going to read it mm-hmm. that's primarily what these guys are talking to the media for they're uh, or what they're thinking they're thinking they're talking to the media for the players and so that's a big part of it right how are how are the players going to respond to this i so, mean if and you're right we we don't know that this is anything like what he's telling his players but if it were what he were telling his players that's probably not such a good thing right i mean no, <laughs> you have eric hosmer it, come up with like super power or whatever uh you that doesn't seem like the kind of guy that you want to discourage from hitting home runs i would think <laughs> i don't think there's any guy that you want to discourage well, from hitting home runs i mean uh, you, there you are guys, guys you want to discourage from well no a- anybody who you can get to hit i mean there's willie mays do you don't want to if, you would probably there are guys you discourage from trying to hit home runs yeah yeah. Right. I mean, and Eric Hosmer is not a guy you would try to no. discourage from, from hitting home yeah. runs. Okay. All right. Homers. Mm-hmm. Those are great. <laughs> I think so. All right. Resolved. Homers are good. Um, so, uh, wow. I don't have much time. Uh, based on the based on the arbitrary <laughs> limits of the show that I have set in my head, the internal clock I have. Um, because I actually want to talk about two things i i briefly want to just go over this uh jerry krasnick piece that you sent me today mm-hmm. uh, because it's a follow-up to what we talked about last week about the anti-redhead bias uh, among scouts uh and krasnick for espn goes over some other biases that you probably don't know of uh and maybe we'll just talk about that yeah let's just talk about that and call it a day how's that sure. sound all right so uh if you weren't listening last week, it turns out that there's this bias against redheads that we weren't aware of, and Ben and I talked about uh, why that would be. And so Krasnick quotes uh, Jeff Lunau of the Astros saying, anytime you venture into territory that's not as populated, you're taking a little bit more of a gamble, and if you're wrong, people might look back and say, you should have known. That makes it more difficult to be bold in those situations. And so he lists, uh, Krasnick lists, I think, seven other things um, and I just want to know if you, uh, if, if they surprise you, if you knew them and if they make sense to you. Mm-hmm. So the first one is a weak handshake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, certainly grip strength seems like it would be important, but I don't know that, that a handshake is necessarily the best way to, to assess that. Well, and what he talks about one scout who does not limit himself to a handshake, who actually carries around a pair of hand <laughs> yes, grips. Yes, right. So that's all. Sign that makes sense. You know, there's sure. a there's a common there's a theme to a lot of these, which is that you hear them and then you kind of laugh and you think, wow, the I mean, that's that's a that's a strange and kind of mystic way of evaluating players. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, but on the other hand, there's there's a, some some sort of physical skill that it also might correlate to and so uh, you you would want a guy with strong forearms Mm -hmm. for instance uh that makes perfect sense uh if you're doing it because you think that a weak handshake is for sissies that's kind of uh well uh, maybe that's normal too Mm -hmm. maybe that's maybe maybe for a scout that would be totally legitimate Mm -hmm. maybe sissy is a uh is a a scouting red flag as well whatever sissy means Mm -hmm. uh but uh yeah so weak grip all right uh number two 
small hands, short fingers, thick wrists. Yeah, thick wrists is not something I would something be able I to identify it. I, I would never <laughs> be able to identify a thick wrist. I don't know what a thick wrist looks like. Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't either, really. I mean, big. I, I can understand small hands. Uh, you, you. I mean, you hear people talk about certain pitchers and how big their hands are, how long their fingers are. People say like Pedro Martinez's fingers are freakishly long, and maybe that has something to do with Pedro Martinez being Pedro Martinez. I don't know that this is true for every pitcher, but uh, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I guess big hands would be would be good. Yeah, I've always heard big hands are great for pitchers yeah. and that you want a Makes guy with, with big hands. And, and I remember... Uh, there was a baseball card that probably half of our listeners will remember seeing. I don't remember who it was. I, I want to say it was like Frank Viola. It might have been Steve Avery. Some player in like about 1992, I think it was a pinnacle card, and it showed him gripping like seven baseballs mm-hmm. at once. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, big hands. But what is a thick wrist even? What is that? I guess, does that mean like less flexibility? Does it, does does Kresnik really say what it means? No. He he really doesn't. No. He sort of glosses over the wrist. He he refers to uh, to to uh, let's see Jason Marquis not having skinny wrists, <laughs> and he talks about Steve Avery having supple wrists supple wrists that were so prized by talent evaluators. But he doesn't really get into the specifics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You you hear people talk about like Hank Aaron having slender slender but very strong wrists. Um, but no, I, I don't know that I would recognize a, a thick wrist. That's why. Not a scout. Right. Square shoulders. Uh, sure, I, I guess. I mean, that, a lot of these things don't seem necessarily baseball specific. I mean, these are things that that, peop, that we would kind of – we would scout. I mean, picking players on the playground, we would look at this. Or, right. or sizing up someone and wondering if you can fight them and, and win a fight or something. I mean – First thing you look at is the wrist. Right. If yeah, if you if someone has thick wrists, you know that you can take them on. But punch him in the mouth. Just go over. <laughs> don't even ask questions. Don't even wait to be offended. Just go over and punch that guy in the so, mouth. So uh, square shoulders. I don't know, because I mean, square shoulders. It seems like in in popular culture would be a, a sign of strength. I would think. Yeah, I I sort of think of a square shoulder as actually being a a nice firm body. Right. And yeah, so they're saying uh, that scouts prefer a sloped shoulder uh, yes. because it's believed square shoulders are considered the kiss of death. Huh. Because sloped not, shoulders yeah, are just... believed to allow greater flexibility and freedom of movement. Well, um, that that is, I don't know. Yeah, that's not really something that I would I would have known. Um, lack or surplus of height, I yes. think, is a pretty that seems like an pretty, obvious one. Pretty obvious mm-hmm. one. Uh, reverse guys, guys who swing uh, right-handed and throw left-handed, uh, a very, very small group of major leaguers in history. Uh-huh. Uh, Eddie Bain says uh, right-hander, right-handed hitters who are left-handed throwers are referred to as bass-ackward guys in the scouting community. Like redheads, they are looked at askance, not because some, there's some inherent baseball reason, but more because they're an oddity. Uh... Not something I was aware of, no. I mean, you're basically, I mean, there's a, there is an inherent baseball reason to, to look askance at those guys. They hit from the wrong side and they throw with the wrong hand. They're limited to about three positions, mm-hmm. uh, four positions, I guess. 
and they so that I mean that hurts. I mean, there's basically unless they can play center field, they're they're born on the wrong side of the defensive spectrum through no fault of their own, except for what's what what arm they throw with, and they are going to have the platoon disadvantage most of the time. So, um, I mean, that seems pretty natural. Uh, I guess maybe it's not natural. It's a it's certainly a reason that that you wouldn't expect there to be many of those guys in the majors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if I saw if I saw a guy who could play. I don't know that I would hold it against him. But I don't know the position. I mean, you want you want when you're scouting an amateur, you basically you want him to be able to start at shortstop and move his way down the spectrum until he finds a place in the majors. So if he's you know if if he's not a huge power guy and he's left-handed. That's sort of limiting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty. I mean, it's very limiting. Yeah. Makes right. Sense. All right. Duck feet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that makes sense, I guess. I mean, they they mention uh, Octavio Dotel as a as a duck footed player. Um, yeah. I guess I wouldn't have thought of it as such such a factor for a pitcher, but I mean, I guess it makes sense that a pitcher or, or a player who's whose beat point in some strange direction would <laughs> would not be as fast or would not run as naturally i, I don't know uh i didn't yeah i didn't know i didn't know duck feet was a, a thing right I, it's I, not really it's not something that i have heard of as like a, a scouting tell but i mean i guess if i were looking at a person and he had he had like really pronounced Duck, duck feet. I guess I would, I would discount his athletic ability somewhat. No, yeah. When you run, like good running position is basically the feet are are pointed somewhat inward, right? That's how you're supposed to run. Yeah, I guess. Just like a little bit inward. So if you can't run like that, then it would probably be bad. That they mentioned uh, Gene Segura, who, according to Eddie Bain, had some duck <laughs> in <guess> him, so. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't when he ran for whatever reason. <laughs> So, uh, uh, and finally, uh, finally, a sponge cake physique, which I think just means fat. Yes. Oh no, that's not finally. That's that actually not, not finally. But uh, yeah, so fat is is not. Fat, yeah, fat, clearly not good you, yeah. for a scout. And then the last one is the not so good face, mm-hmm. um, which you know I don't know I. I wonder if the I wonder if the good face has is is more myth than reality. I mean, I I know that it's been it's been around for many decades and people hold to it and it's become in some ways sort of the um the the stereotype about the scout mm-hmm. that both scout lovers and non-scout lovers can both cling on to you know there's this idea like oh those crazy scouts with their good face and then there's scouts who you know say yeah we can we can spot a guy with our with with a good face right Mm -hmm. but then you look around the majors and i just i don't know i don't know that i buy it i think that um i think that if you play and you're funny looking you get a pretty good shot yeah i don't know i'm not sure i buy it i just think that if you if you analyzed uh facial symmetry to talent level it would not be that uh you know there wouldn't be that many missed missed players out there Mm -hmm. i mean i guess at at, over a long period of time i guess your your face comes to reflect your personality in some sense i guess i mean if you're a guy who's always frowning then you will have frown lines and if you're a guy who's always smiling and laughing you will have laugh lines I don't know whether that means you'll be a 
a better baseball player or not. Um, but maybe it kind of gives you some insight into a person's personality. I guess maybe is that feasible? Is that is that possible at all? It's not. It's it's not the. It's not. It's not what I would have said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so it says it says scouts tend to shy away from players with weak chins, uh, and the infamous deer in the headlights look. So I mean, the deer in the headlights look seems like a a more relevant thing. I mean, if that's something that you can actually identify that a guy just looks uncomfortable i guess i mean a weak chin doesn't really mean anything to me but um yeah i feel like i feel like i kind of want to do the all bad face team uh and now and so i don't know maybe if anybody wants to suggest bad faces and i don't mean bad i don't i don't mean i don't want a bunch of ugly people (laughs) you know like i don't like people have done the ugliest players ever and and I'm not I'm not into that idea. It doesn't need to be done. I, I wouldn't feel good doing it. I, I specifically mean a face that you look at uh, and you think, nope, not not a ball player, uh, and yet is a ball player. That's that's what I'm looking for. And probably uh, I'll just I'll just save everybody the trouble. I know who Eric Sogard is. So who else? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So that that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow, right? Uh, Yes, we will.